right, everyone. Welcome back to the Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, and alongside me, as always, is John Cole. Good morning, Tyler. So how's it going, man? Uh, we've we've got a chance to kind of like get reinvigorated with the podcast and like have a little bit more time doing it here recently. Yes, yeah, it's great actually being back in California. I was walking in from the hotel this morning, looking at this blue sky and <laughs> saying to myself, "Why did I move back to London?" <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're moving back then? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be. The uh, wife, the wife and kids will love that move yeah. from California to London to back to California in less than a year. <laughs> if my wife is listening, she'd be uh, making that scream face. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, John, you you weren't uh, you weren't with me on our last podcast when I had a chance to interview Stephen from Gear Junkie, and I was tell- telling you just before the podcast it was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I'd, l- I'd like to know a little bit more about it, so I couldn't make that. It sounded it, it sounds like a really interesting journey. Yeah, so if, for you guys that maybe haven't heard that episode yet, uh, it, it was released. It's the one before this, um, and uh, I had Stephen Reginald from GearJunkie.com on, and he is a uh, I, I would say former journalist, but that's not really true because he, he really runs his site. He's a current journalist. Yeah, yeah. he's a current journalist. And uh, he, he talks about how he used to work with the New York Times and had a nationally syndicated article. Really fascinating. It's you know, one of those kind of entrepreneurship stories we hear about. He said he had a hard drive sitting at, you know, at his desk filled with content that he had the rights to from years and years of writing this column. And he's like, hey, you know, why not make a website? And in 2006, it was a ripe time to do that. And now he's really reaping the benefits of those efforts. And so now he runs a, a nine-person team for his site. And he said that he runs the editorial team a lot like how he used to work in the newspaper business. You know, lots of fact-checking. Uh, they, they rely on their gut a lot for, um, for finding new stories and kind of digging in deep and seeing what's going to be big news. And, um, yeah, it was just really interesting. You know, we obviously take a very data-driven approach here. But it's, it's um, what I thought was something – that I could take away from it, and I hope our listeners did as well, was the fact that um, as much as data can tell us about uh, everything in our space, there are still some human elements that provides a lot of value, especially for niche sites and things like that as it relates to content. Yeah, all sites are different, and uh, we were talking about it just before we came on air, which was, you know, when we're working in the industry and we're working on this thing, you know, this all day long, we kind of forget um, quite often a lot of the the basics and the and the things that we've kind of taken for granted that everyone knows about. Um, and we should probably just cover some of those things now, um, just just to just sort of bring every. If you, people didn't start listening to the podcast from the very beginning, uh, and I, I know I don't. When I start listening to a new podcast, I'll just probably dive in. Um, I think it's probably a good idea that we we do all just I guess summarize some of these things that we consider to be kind of truisms rather than like techniques. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Part of that kind of comes out of you know you and I were just a part of uh, of an event in London that MediaTel helped put on about um, uh, data science in the space, and um, that's that's why we had Dr. Greg on a couple weeks ago when we were in London. Uh, and then we I was also at Digiday um, a couple months back and ran into some podcast listeners as well. And I thought what was interesting was, um, you know, one of the things that really kind of spurred this, you know, this episode was the fact that I had talked to a couple of them. And it seems like I keep talking to listeners. And when we talk about EPMV, which is like the metric that you and I always preach to publishers, and I say preach because it really is. It's, it's it feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and it's and it really is altruistic on our part because. Um, this idea of EPMV really is one of the best metrics for publishers to take into account everything. So when I say everything, I mean user experience and revenue. And those two things for 
for websites really is everything, right? Yeah, I know, and it seems to, to us to be self-evident, um, but even really senior figures in the industry, in, in the digital publishing industry, uh, are not with this yet. And it, so here's the, here's the summary, guys. EPMV is earnings per thousand visits. It's actually a term that we coined, um, but it's been used for a very long time, particularly in the, in the games industry where they had something called uh, average revenue per user, which is ARPU. Average, <laughs> <laughs> I prefer average revenue per user. Um, the idea is that you, you basically look in Google Analytics, you see how many sessions you had during the month, and then you add up all of your revenue, and basically it's revenue divided by the number of sessions, and then you make it a per thousand divided by 1,000. Yeah, so... And you can do this whether or not use, uh, you know, any of our tools. Um, it's, uh, but why it's so vital, why it's so it really important is because it is factoring in how many page views you get and the effect of bounce rate or high bounce rate. So if you're only looking at the revenue per page, you're only looking at one page and you're saying to yourself, oh, great, look, I've, I've, I've jammed in some more ads and my revenue per page or RPM or effective CPM as people call it has gone up therefore I'm doing a great job of monetization but what 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 that will not tell you is that if you've jammed in loads of ads and the, and the revenue's gone up people are leaving they're clicking on ads and leaving but you've just missed out on more pages that you wouldn't have got and your overall revenue per user has gone down even though your RPM's gone up. So to summarize some of this, John, I think one of the things that, that makes it easy to understand is there's a lot of acronyms in this in this industry, and I think people understand them to a certain extent, but I think um, having them kind of broken down is what made, made it really easy for me to understand at the very beginning. So CPMs is the cost per mil or cost per thousand, right? So that's, when you're talking about CPMs, you're talking about kind of one ad. What is the cost for that space on your site? What is that CPM of that ad position or whatever? Yeah. Uh, effective e CPM, which is eCPM, is basically the, the total amount of all the CPMs on a page, right? Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that's similar to basically RPM, which is the rate per mil, um, which yeah. is the you know the total amount of the page. It's basically the same thing as eCPM. Re revenue per mil, uh, yeah. And eCPM e also takes into account CPC um, ads. So if you're only getting paid on a CPC basis, um, it's how much money did you make on average for showing a thousand impressions. So this has all been. I'm sorry if we're losing you guys, but basically, you know, whether or not an advertiser buys on a CPC, whether or not they buy it on a CPM you can translate either of those into the other um, you know, metric to find out what the effective CPM is of a CPC campaign or to find out what you know, the combined revenue is on a per page level. Everybody's been doing this for a very long time. <clears throat> and particularly an ad network will approach a publisher and say, hey, I can get you $10 CPMs. And it, it's, you know, this is from like 10 years ago. People used to come in and say, I've got these campaigns and uh, you just have to take these ads and put them on your site and I'll pay you $10 for every thousand times that that has been shown. And a lot of publishers will go, that sounds great. Great um, deal, let's do it. Yeah. But um, you know, this, is where, this is where things begin to get complicated because what is the effect of showing that ad on the other ads and then what is the effect on your user of showing that ad? And I think before you even get there, you have to realize that 
when you're looking at CPMs and RPMs and eCPMs, what you're looking at is the total value of ads and at a maximum, the ad, the amount of revenue that you're collecting from a single page, right? And so a user session is not defined by page revenue. So that's the really important thing to remember here is when John, like let's use you as an example, John, when you visit a site and let's say you land on page A or whatever and page A earns uh, an eCPM of $20, right? Mm -hmm. um, if we just measure it by page, then that page made $20, right? But if you go on to visit subsequent pages after that, and those subsequent pages have uh, additional RPMs and CPMs and things like that attached to it, then actually the total amount of your journey is worth way more than $20. Yeah. So it's really important to realize how the experience that you have as you go through the site is affected by things like ads because if you jam a whole bunch of ads on that first page and you earn that $20 or you know you're in $25 in this case maybe let's say by jamming some more ads in there but then you bounce you're actually not going to get the revenue from those additional page views that you would have gotten already and so that's where EPMB helps because EPMB or earnings per thousand visitors actually totals the amount of all the page views together as well so when you take all your sessions and divide it by your total revenue, it's taking into account those additional page views and things like that. And so if you do jam a bunch more ads in there and then you look at your EPMV before and after you did that, you should be able to see whether or not jamming all those ads in there affected your overall revenue because of its effect on user experience as well. Yeah, and it's, it's revenue divided by sessions, just so people get the maths right. Um, it is a, it, uh, and even, really 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 senior people take a sort of five to ten minute kind of conversation to kind of go okay I can do this I can I can I can get this now the difference between landing page revenue and page revenue is exactly what you just described and also the difference between earnings per thousand visits or session revenue and the difference between uh, page revenue these these things tell you the whole picture the whole picture is really important and then once you start digging down a little bit more you look at then the relationship of uh, how many ads, uh, the natural bounce rate of a landing page, and you know the subsequent pages, the, the navigation features. And for people kind of just at home listening in, you've got to be, it, it's very difficult to try and put yourself in the shoes of a new user coming to your site who's never been to it before. It's very, very familiar to you. And so therefore, experimentation is a really good way of making any changes to improve EPMV or to improve the user experience metrics like getting bounce rate down um, so rather than trying to sort of do this in your head and go oh if I was a new user yeah. then I would do this um, what you need to do is actually find out what the users react to and do more of you know what they what they tell you to do by their actions rather than by asking yourself or asking your friends or other stuff like that yeah I think that that's really fascinating because I think one of the things that, that happens sometimes is I think people may listen to a lot of this and then say, for whatever reason, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around it. Um, sometimes people need to see a visual or something like that to understand it. But I think if, if, if you to compress it at its very core, what you want to do is you want to extend user sessions and you want to uh, increase the amount of average page views per visit right because yeah. when you're able to do those things there's a direct correlation between that and revenue and obviously I think there's a there's an inherent want and, and need for quality publishers to 
want to have better user experiences for the users, better time on site, more page views per visit, less bounce rate. Those things are good no matter what, right? They're really good. They're really good for your site health overall. Like your site health as it pertains to whether you're getting ranked in, inside the Google search engine or whether you're getting shared. Those two things um, are a factor, an indicator of quality. And so when people share your content or tweet about it or write about you and reference you in Quora or these other platforms, they're all pointing back to a quality which is this is worth listening to, this is worth reading, or this is funny, or I like this. And with, with Google, Google is the best search engine because it detects what the users are preferring when they're looking for a certain yeah. um, thing. And, and so by, by looking at ads in the, in, through the kind of lens of user experience first, you, it will guide you the right way and you start by doing this, this EPMV calculation. And you can just do it over time and see how, you know, what is a normal Sunday, what is a normal Monday for me, um, what the holidays look like. And you can see this thing curve and change over time and that will give you a, I mean we've talked about it before, like a true north. Yeah. It gives you a, an indication of whether what you're doing is working or not working, whether you're looking after the users and actually whether you're being successful as a digital publisher or not in terms of ad revenue that is. Yeah, and I think even beyond ads, I mean I think there's a lot of things that you can do to try to improve user experience on your site, right? So um, kind of, you know, the background on the whole Zoic story was, you know, there's it wasn't just ads and things like that. Whenever you guys started the premise, it was it was testing layouts and things like that as well. But I, you know, the conversation that we had with Stephen yesterday as well, we talked about content and having really great content. And um, you know, I've talked uh, with Dave Taylor, who writes on our blog about this before as well. There's there's ways that you can even structure your content in ways that extend user sessions, keep them more engaged in the content. And some of those things can even become quote unquote branding elements for your site as well. You can become known for certain formats. And I think that it's good for publishers to think beyond just ads as a way of how they improve user experience. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, ads is only one element. Um, the, t the I would say the two biggest things are um, navigation and site speed, um, other than ad configuration so if your navigation is confusing uh, and how do you know if it's confusing <laughs> well, well you can test well can't you just you can use test. a heat map John <laughs> sorry I'm sorry to laugh so heartily at that um, it, it's not it's not as simple as that you yeah. have to test you have to try you know um, a different menu location um, a different menu style um, and you have to test it scientifically you cannot do this stuff by eye and so so this yeah. so explain to me then these these heat maps and the, I I obviously I know I'm I'm not advocating for heat maps here but yeah. I think there are, there are probably users that are listening to it that there, there's UX designers that are out there today that are using heat maps as like their fundamental way of redesigning things because there's people that are graphic designers that obviously work as UX designers and things like that for major sites and um, they use those types of tools as, as, as directions for kind of designing new layouts and things like that. Um, what would be a better way? Uh, well, a better way is to actually find out what the users, um, what the resultant of the, of the experiments are. And I'm not putting down heat maps per se. I'm sure that they're, you know, as a, as a technique for by eye optimization, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah. Um, but there are much better scientific ways of being able to make a change and actually do multivariate changes, multivariate testing, 
um, to get a result. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to alter um, numbers, not, not get a feel for anything. We're actually just trying to say, right, which um, in these scenarios is best. And, and actually, these days, we're going beyond um, you know, testing to get a result and go, okay, great, you know, I've got a new site layout now and that'll do me for another couple of years. Actually, over time, uh, you need some sort of dynamic ability to change. Uh, you know, over time, and and that'll be scary to a lot of people to hear. But that's the way I see, you know, the internet going. That when I go to a site and you go to a site, we'll eventually have um, different experiences based on what the technology that's running that site knows about us. Well, the, there's actually two interesting things that kind of that, that kind of uh, spurred my brain when you were talking about that. I guess the first one I'll, I'll hop into because it was what you just said. You know, us having different experiences. I mean, in a really, really crude way, that's kind of what AMP is, right? Because it's basically saying, you know, from, from a Google perspective, I'm searching for something, Google is gonna serve up if I have, have AMP pages. It's gonna give me the AMP page because it's basically saying, this person's on a mobile device, they're gonna need it to be faster than somebody that's on a desktop device. So here's the, here's the AMP version of that page, right? Yep, and that's, that's, that's Google's thinking as well. So, I mean, you know, am I, am I wrong? I don't, I don't think I am wrong, but I, I do, I think it's um, impractical for most publishers to sort of aim for this now. I, I also think the technology isn't quite there yet, but uh, overall, but I do, but I do think um, treating people um, differently depending on what you know about them is, is going to be the way ahead. Um, but for ordinary site kind of owners, you know, doing layout testing um, and doing ad testing and, you know, all of these uh, disciplines which are really hard to do when you're setting up the experiments yourself um, but using technology to do it but anyway that's that's kind of uh, you're definitely in my wheelhouse here I talk about this stuff <laughs> a lot yeah it's, it's, um, it's, it's you know it's, with publishers so. it's kind of fascinating I think uh, one of the other things that you mentioned that uh, you can choose to share how much you you want about it because they know it is some of it is from our data science department but the um, you were talking about layouts and this idea that you know you set one every couple of years. You know, we we do a fair amount of layout testing, uh, and and we have you know we have hundreds of sites that we use and we test different layouts on. And what we find is that those layouts, like you would think, like one would ultimately be a winner for a certain audience or something like that. You would have one that would win, and then for a year's time, that one would work, and maybe it would switch, and another one would work. But what we find from consistently testing is they actually switch a lot. The ones that are winning, the ones that are performing the best from delivering the best user experiences and the most revenue, they actually change quite a bit, like yeah. you know, every couple months. It depends on the site, but that's it, interesting, right? It, yeah, it is. It is really interesting. Um, I'm probably not giving away too much here, but we have been experimenting lately with content um, testing. So where the content appears on the page, as well as where the ads appear on the page, that's one of the things that we've been working on. Um, and I've seen some of the early results of this. It's actually, it is, it is fascinating. Um, the, the idea is what you've got to do is you've got to remember you've got your content, which is, um, that's, that's the, you know, the quality which you produce. So, you know, words, images, videos, whatever it is. And then it's how you serve that up. And the, if, you, if you look at it like a jigsaw, you can move things around. And if you have a lot of visitors, you can move things around and see how they react. And seeing how they react is um, not just for bounce rate, time on site, page views per visit anymore. For us, anyway, it's also things like dwell time, you know, scroll time, 
um, navigation errors. You know, if people are, are clicking on something, they come straight back, or if they click on an ad and come straight back, you know that actually that wasn't good for User revenue experience. either, because it might. Well, you never know. They might. You might not get paid for that. But also, you don't want people accidentally clicking anyway. Like yeah. You you, you want to provide this. Um, these two opposing goals, which are you want to keep the user engaged and happy and finding things easily. You know, there's a classic user experience book called uh, Don't Make Me Think. It's <laughs> actually, yeah. So, you know, when you're faced with a page, you've got lots of options as a user. Um, you shouldn't give people loads and loads of things to do. You've got to make it intuitive. Um, and testing is the only really way to really honest and true way to do that. Um, so it, it's, um, I, I, I find particularly on mobile, um, uh, small things can have a huge um, beneficial effect. Um, but I think that's across the web in general, um, yeah. whether you're talking about lead conversion funnels, or you're talking about ads, or you're talking about navigation, or the way that people interact with content and how they engage with different things, even even applications and things like that. I think we've seen that. I mean, as a marketer, somebody that has spent a lot of time in the past like tweaking landing pages, you know, for whatever reason, the orange button versus a green button, you know, does thir you know three times as many conversions or something like that. Those little changes seem to have big effects on user experience, and you know. It, it's hard to explain sometimes, but it, it it really does, right? So you mentioned the content earlier. I mean, that's something that I've learned over time is I've I've written a lot of online content and I've structured things in a lot of different ways. And I have, I have some ways now that I like a lot because I find that they work, but I don't really know why they work. And the truth is, is in some cases, it's really hard to test it. And so uh, you don't know if it is the greatest common denominator of potential ways that you could structure that content yeah. or not. Well, and, and also there isn't one way to do it um, because all, all sites, even in the same vertical, end up optimizing in completely different ways. And I think it's because um, uh, if you imagine the site as a, a sort of a jumble of, of keywords, like, you know, one of those kind of um, maps that's got lots of different um, kind of elements to it on a page, that you, the attractiveness of your site to um, search engines and users uh, and you know, socially, there's so much bound up in that, um, and the testing that can be done uh, has to be granular because if you're if you're going on the forever averages approach, in other words, you know what Greg was talking about the 60/40 A/B test, and you find that the the 60% one you know wins. Um, and then we're going to just show that 60% one to everyone. The people who are in that 40% bucket have just been sort of done down. See what I mean? They've been, they've got they they got a suboptimal uh, experience. So that's why I think of um, technology is is going to solve these really complicated problems um, by taking all of the signals and tuning it to what you want the resultant to be. Um, rather than trying to shoehorn the experiments into something that is in your own head that you understand as being like, well, that I want an answer to this versus this. Like that's, that's, too, that's too binary now. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of interesting because whenever, uh, when I hear you say that, I, I think back to the conversation that I had with Stephen the other day um, because one of the things that he kind of, his like parting piece to people as he was leaving, because I said if there's, I asked him what, what he'd done that he thought had made him really successful over the years and what challenge or concern that he had heading into the future. And one of the things that he, he thought was um, 
that was key for publishers to, to do was continue to do what they do well, which in his case is to create great content. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm a great researcher, this and that. Um, that's his key. And he said uh, he likes to keep his ear to the ground and figure out what new opportunities and new technologies and stuff like that are out there. And he said it's really important to try everything, but then also be able to pivot away from stuff as it doesn't work. Um, and I think one of the things that, that when, I, when I listen to this conversation and think about all the different things that you and I both know from being exposed to it, um, the different technologies that are going to emerge, um, I think for publishers that listen to that or people that are responsible for elements of that that you know, are out of their control or something like that, you work for a large publisher or something along those lines, I think it's really important to realize that you don't have to know all these things. And I think it's going to be impossible to know all of them soon. Um, but hopefully, the opportunities to leverage technology will make it easier. Um, and I think in the past, that hasn't always been the case. To really get the most out of technology, I think you've really needed to understand it. Otherwise, you could be taken advantage of. And I think that we're seeing a shift in the industry. We're seeing a shift towards wanting to focus on user experience and revenue. And then we're also seeing a shift where technology is supporting these efforts um, by helping people deliver better experiences through this mechanism. And I'm not just talking about the technology that you and I work with. I'm just talking about in general. Yeah, in general. And I think being a, being a publisher online now is so much better than it was 10 years ago. Because if you think about it 10 years ago, you had to either get into selling your own ads or find a network, ad network you could trust. Um, you know, AdSense, everyone forgets, it's a, it is 10 years old. Like it's, it's not that old. And before that, what was there, you know? And and I think things are, you know, with the we have now ad exchanges where um, it it seems to be fairer. It's not fair yet. Um, and there's some really interesting articles go, uh, out there, guys, that you can read about um, how the uh, the the ad world is inefficient and is going to get more efficient. But that is an opportunity. That is an uptick. That is a future benefit for digital publishers with good quality content. I'm making a prediction here, ad rates are gonna to continue to improve as you know, more money comes in, but the technology is gonna get better too. As Stephen and I got off yesterday, uh, we didn't record this on the air, but, um, and this, this is what we'll finish with because I know we gotta get going here. Um, he said, uh, you, you know, we were just kind of chatting afterwards, and he said, you know, I, I, feel, I really feel like it's a good time to be a publisher. And I said, my co-host John says that all the time. And uh, so I, I figured I'd let I'd, I'd let you finish by just kind of ex, you know ex, so for everybody that maybe has their head spinning or having trouble wrap their head around some of this stuff, tell them why it's a good time to be a publisher. It's uh, yeah, it's a great time to be a publisher because um, people are actually absorbing more content now on their phones than they ever did before. So people point to apps and say, oh, you know, you should get into apps and things like that. No, like uh, app usage outside of games. Outside of games and Facebook, Facebook's the number one app, by the way, by a long Definitely. And time in app. If you take that out and you take games out, basically the web is, is growing and it's doing really, really well. 70% um, of all um, uh, ad impressions are now mobile. So focus all your efforts on mobile. But um, it's really just the, the opportunity for people to now, if, if you're sitting down having a cup of coffee and you go, what was that thing again? You get your phone out and look it up, right? Think. Five years ago, ten years ago, you'd go back to the office or you'd go back home and look something up. So internet usage is, is still continuing to grow. Um, if you have a really good solid um, base of users now, you can grow that 
just you know e embrace the fact that it's, it it sounds complicated, but it's really it's not. It's um, it's easy to produce content. There's free CMSs out there like WordPress. It's easy to host. It's easy to use a CDN and keep your, your site safe and fast. You know, um, it's easy to use technology to make uh, to look after your users. All of this stuff adds up together that you, in the past you would have to have a whole cohort of like 20 people working for you, and this is all done for you now. So you don't have to sell ads. You just plug in the stuff that does it for you. And speaking of ads, we've heard here recently from the CEO of Bloomberg, and I've seen this published other places as well, that still 60% of ad spend is in, um, is in TV and print. Yeah, I didn't even get around to that point. I mean, all of that revenue, if you think, guys, when you watch TV now, if you're watching Netflix, you're not watching ads. Uh, you know, time spent on TV is not spent watching ads unless you're watching live sport, which is still obviously live sport is still going to. It's like TV is like their golden child. It's yeah. not all they got left. That's basically it. Um, but and Amazon that, just bought the bought the rights to uh, Thursday night American football too. So oh, that's yeah. a big deal. Wow, that is a big deal. Um, so I mean, all of this is it, it, it's good news because as um, this expenditure on press. Um, as people, you know, absorb their content not in, you know, physical paper form, and that they're looking at their phones and their and their tablets and stuff. Um, as that goes down, and as TV spend comes into digital, all of this is good news. I mean, it, honestly, I know people 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 sort of thinking as much as they were, but it's all it's all a, a, an illusion because actually much more money is coming into this industry, and it's still growing at fifteen percent a year. So it's a good time to be a publisher. It certainly is. And we'll leave with that. Thank you guys for joining us on the Publisher Lab. As always, leave us those iTunes reviews and um, continue to watch and listen and share the podcast if you like it. Thanks, guys. Thank you.